Welcome to another podcast by Every Nation Brisbane. We're so glad you can join us here today. For more information about our church, visit us on the web at enbrisbane.org. Please enjoy the following message. Today's reading is from 2 Timothy, uh, verses 1 to 7. Uh, the title is, A Good Soldier of Jesus Christ. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in sufferings as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hardworking farmer who ought to have first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Lord, for your word, Lord God, which enlightens us as to how to live, but also the life that you give us freely by your grace. And we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would come and make your presence sense, Lord, beyond my capacity to teach the word, Lord, we pray for your presence to come and invade this space, Lord God, come change and transform lives, not by might, not by power, by your spirit, says the Lord, in Jesus' name, and somebody said amen. Amen. Uh, My name is Nelly, for those of you who are new here, I see quite a number of new faces, can we give it up for those who are here for the first time, welcome, welcome. Yes, we hope you feel welcome here. We would love, uh, as Masimba said earlier, there's connect cards on your seat. And uh, if you don't mind filling those out, we'd love to see how we can serve you as best as we can. But we're really blessed you would join us here today. Uh, we're in a, a series now called God's Mission. And uh, this is where we're discovering God's mission for our church. And not, not more than what we do as a church, but who we are as a church. And so our, our vision statement for our church is this. That Every Nation Brisbane is a part of the Every Nation family of churches and ministries that exist to honor God by establishing Christ-centered, spirit-empowered, and socially responsible churches and campus ministries in every nation. Now, our four values, and we're going to go over the next four weeks through these values as to who we are as a church. And uh, these are the four values here. Discipleship, we're going to break all of these down. Discipleship, worship, outreach and family discipleship worship outreach and family now we will break down what these mean because at first glance you may look at these words and and have certain uh, preconceptions as to what these words mean for instance the word worship is more than just music it's a life that is dedicated under the lordship of jesus christ right offered to him in worship so we're going to touch on that in in a couple of weeks but today i'm going to focus on the topic of discipleship. We're going to look at discipleship, and I'm basically going to look at these qualities of a disciple from this specific passage. Uh, when we understand, firstly, let me go back to a scripture that you hear. If you get around any every nation church around the world, we have uh, churches in over 80 nations around the world. We're blessed to see God uh, doing that. But if you get around any of our every nation churches, no matter where you go, you'll hear uh, Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 to 20. It says uh, that Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of every nation. Sounds like a good name for a church. Um, 
baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey, and I will be with you always to the end of the age. My favorite part about that commission, it's often called the Great Commission, is that Jesus promises us his presence as we go. We don't, we don't move without him moving us in discipleship. So from that, we can already begin to establish in our relationship with Jesus that discipleship is relational. Discipleship is relational. When we consider that the greatest commandments that Jesus has given us from his word, which is a summation of the whole Old Testament, is to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. This is relational. This is relationship. And so our, our discipleship relationships are uh, relating towards Christ. In fact, discipleship is, is helping others in their relationship with Christ. And this is also essential as a Christian, foundational, dare I say. Now, I mentioned that we experienced in, in the world uh, some natural disasters, and obviously we look at what has happened in the last couple of weeks in Turkey uh, and, and Syria, and when we look at just the devastation that has happened there, a lot of it, in terms of the number of people, unfortunately, that lost their lives, at last count, uh, it was over 47,000 people who have lost their lives during this earthquake, which is, uh, it's atrocious what's happened. But a number of them could have been safer in terms of escaping their death had the buildings been constructed a lot better. Now, I'm just going to read to you a, a snippet from a BBC report uh, when they're talking about the construction regulations because on inspection they began to see that a lot of the construction of the buildings there were substandard. I'll read you the snippet. It says, construction regulations have been tightened following previous disasters, including a 1999 earthquake around the city of Izmit, the northwest of the country, in which 17,000 people died. But the laws, including latest standards set in 2018, have been poorly enforced. Professor Alexander from the university there in Turkey, he says, uh, in part, the problem is that there is very little retrofitting of existing buildings, but there's also very little enforcement of the building standards on new builds. The BBC's Middle East correspondent, Tom Bateman, spoke to people on the southern city of Adana who said one building collapsed and there was damage 25, that was damaged 25 years ago in another quake, but was just left without any proper retrofitting. You see, when countries such as Japan where millions of people live in densely populated high-rise buildings, despite the country's history of severe earthquakes, show how building regulations can help to keep people safe in disasters. So yes, developers, contractors, likely were ne negligent. Constructing buildings with cheap materials or designs that could not withstand a 7.8 magnitude quake. But the, these shortcuts couldn't happen without the complicity or encouragement of government institutions, all of which knew the country's vulnerabilities and pushed ahead anyway. When I think about how hurried our lifestyle can become, we can see a lot of the construction of our lives being constructed in similar ways. We live in a very hurried society here in Brisbane, Australia, where we're always moving towards what's next rather than enjoying the presence of God right now. We exist solely, passionately for a better future that we will never enjoy because it's always about a better tomorrow rather than enjoying God today. 
Matthew 6.33 says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all things shall be added unto you. The next verse says, Do not worry about the things of tomorrow, for tomorrow will have enough cares of its own. But how many of us, when we are building ourselves up in, in the way that God has called us to be built, in terms of being a disciple of Christ, we build substandardly, and then when the storms enrage us in life, how, how many of you have seen this, even during this pandemic, where we've had the opportunity to have our faith shaken by circumstances, we really do see the foundations of which our faith was built. So discipleship, yes, is relational, but dare I say, discipleship is foundational. You're able to test and, and see just how strong your foundations are, just how strong it is that you have built, the, the, the foundation that you have built upon. The other aspect of discipleship is when your foundations are strong that we also stand on the shoulders of those who have gone before us because discipleship is also intergenerational. Discipleship is intergenerational. James K.A. Smith, author, Christian theologian, and philosopher, he said that the cheat code of life is to meet with people who are 20 years older than you and learn from both their wins and their mistakes. When you begin to understand the benefit of sitting with those who are wiser than you, who have further progressed in life in the way that you want to live, if you see the fruit of their lives and you're like, I want some of that, then you meet with them, you, you, you shout them lunch, you get the opportunity to glean from their wisdom and also their pitfalls. There's a cheat code already there. And how much more the, the ancient scriptures the richness of the wisdom that is in the Bible, yet the average Christian Australian will not spend time in the Word, will not spend time divulging in the wisdom that is there to live a life that is more accurately lived out in discipleship. And so this is where we come to the Scripture, because Paul is taking his deposit from those who discipled and mentored him as an early church father, and he's pouring his life into Timothy. Now, for those of you who don't know, Paul was an early apostle who was radically transformed. He was a killer of Christians, a persecutor of Christians, but had a radical transformation where Jesus met him on a road to Damascus as he was preparing to kill more Christians and was radically transformed and changed. In fact, this is a common way that many in the Middle East right now in restricted nations are having these sorts of encounters with Jesus in their, in their dreams, in their homes. I have friends that are in some of these restricted nations that have had their lives completely transformed by, with an encounter encounter with Jesus. And so Paul has this encounter with Jesus and he's radically transformed and he goes on to be the most effective missionary in the first century to go into the Gentile nations all around the Mediterranean in those three continents, right? Europe, Asia, and Africa. And what we see here in his missions, he, he starts to sow into the lives of those who would be considered his spiritual sons. Now, Fast forward to 2023, how many of us would get offended when we would hear this phrase from somebody? And this is what Paul says to Timothy. You then, my child. Ah, I'm not your child. I'm not your boy. We live in such an anti-authoritarian society that anybody that comes to try and speak into our lives, we don't want them to. Yet we're missing out on an opportunity to receive the impartation and discipleship from those who have gone a foot further down. And maybe they don't know how to use the internets or the intrawebs. 
But does that mean that there's not a deposit of wisdom that has been given to them that you can freely gain from them? And so Paul wants to pour his life into into Timothy. 2 Timothy is the last book that Paul wrote before he was executed in prison. And so he's pouring his life into his spiritual son. He says, you then, my child, be what? Strengthened. That's a key word in discipleship. Discipleship is not just about instruction. It's about impartation as well to strengthen those whom you mentor. And as mentors, it is our job to mentor others, not around just a teaching, but to help them gain the strength that they need from Jesus to be able to withstand the storms and the earthquakes of life. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Where's the strength from? Christ Jesus. This is the difference between joy and happiness, right? When Nehemiah says in Nehemiah 8 verse 10, the joy of the Lord is my strength, he's talking about a resilient joy that finds its sole source of satisfaction in God alone. It does not find it in other things. And we'll get to that in a moment when we talk about those three occupations of which Paul likens discipleship to. But they find their sole source of satisfaction, not from a self-help book, but solely from Jesus. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Where happiness might depend on what's happening, joy is dependent on a God who is the rock of our salvation so that no matter what comes your way, no matter what earthquakes you may face, you will withstand. Strengthened what? By the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Grace meaning unmerited, undeserved favor. He gives it to you freely. So we're strengthened by what he's already done, not by our own efforts and merit. Does that mean we don't work? Because a lot of times we can, we can talk about grace and think that, oh, well, grace means that I don't have to work at all. No, work is, is uh, it comes, it's postured from a place of thankfulness. When we meet God at the beginning of creation in Genesis chapter 1, what is he doing? He's working. He is creating the universe. And then when he creates humanity, he breathes his, 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 uh, his life into humanity and gives him work. And the first man finds his life in work, but it becomes toil when the man begins to define himself by that work and build towards his own credit rather than to the glory of God. This is the difference between work and toil. When we encounter Jesus, how many of you know he had two two sets of jobs, right? From the age of 30 to 33, he was a minister, and the ultimate minister, more than a minister, he was God, but we, we know that like occupationally he was a minister preaching who had an itinerary um, ministry, but then before the age of 30, what was he? He was a carpenter. He was building stuff to the glory of God. I mean, of all occupations, God wrapped himself in human flesh and was born into a family of builders. It's not a matter of if you're building, it's a matter of what you're building. And so when we get to verse 2, 
I want us to see the multi-generational nature of what Paul is trying to impart here. I'm going to break this verse down. Verse 2 says, And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. I'll read it one more time, and I want you to catch. Count how many generations we have here. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. How many of you can see that there are four generations in this one verse? Four. Watch this. What you, who's the you there? It's Timothy, right? What you, Timothy, have heard from me, the me is Paul himself, in the presence of many witnesses and trust to faithful men. So everything you've learned from me, everything that you've been strengthened by from me, I want you to take it and pour it into the lives of other people. But in the way that you impart to them, make sure you impart it in a way that is impartable. Make sure you teach it in a way that is also replicable in the way you teach it to others. You're with me? So what you're seeing here is four generations of intergenerational transfer, and that is a model for discipleship. Let me just say this, okay? In a, very, in a society like Australia, where we celebrate the beauty of the individual, and we must understand that we're all individuals. We're not clones. God has created us individually beautiful. There's gifts that different ones of you have that I don't have. There's uh, strengths that different ones of you have that I don't have. That we all bring a beauty in our individual beauty. Uh, in that individual beauty, we create somewhat of a mosaic that glorifies God in the way that we are different. But individuality doesn't necessarily mean I exist for myself. Right? And so in an individualistic society like Australia, the temptation can be anti-discipleship or anti-relational because I feel like I exist for myself. And the only way that I will have a relationship with you is if I can benefit from you. And this is the sort of society that we live in, which is the antithesis of the relational discipleship society of which the kingdom of God is. Because those who mentor are to be selfless in their mentoring. See, the danger of a mentor who is self-centered is they want to create clones and take credit for any success that any of their clones may have. What I love about the example of Jesus, I want you to follow me on this. How many of you would agree Jesus lived an absolutely 100% perfect life on the earth? Yes? If he lived a 100% perfect life, and, you know, by, by our standards, right, because we're all about the numbers game and whatever we count, people, followers, money, it's always about the numbers. How many of you know, like, after three years and you've only got 12 followers, that's not even enough for Instagram, right? We said his life was perfect. And then let's look at these followers. How many of you remember when he was naming the disciples there was a disciple named Bartholomew. How many of you remember anything that Bartholomew did? Nothing, right? We don't hear about anybody named Bartholomew or Bart, apart from the Simpsons, right? Until after, there's, there's nothing significant that we read in scripture, at least, or in historical uh, context, about what Bartholomew did. Then let's look at his treasurer, his accountant. Sorry, Lynn, not you, you're righteous, but like, <laughs> Jesus' accountant, 
Or the one that was in charge of the finances was a guy named Judas Iscariot. You all remember this guy? If Bartholomew didn't get named, he got named. Judas got named. And if we consider what happened to Judas, would we say, oh, that's Jesus' fault? But Jesus was a failure in his discipleship. How many of you know? No, he wasn't. Or what about Jesus' like mainstay, his, his main guy, his, his hombre, his homeboy, like Peter, right? Mr. Oh, no, we'll never let you die alone with you to the end. You know, Peter had what we can often call uh, foot-and-mouth disease, right? He'd say something, and then, unfortunately, later on, he would find himself uh, contradicting what was said. When you consider these three examples, how many of you would look upon that and say, well, that, that might look like Jesus wasn't a very good disciple-maker, See, the, the success of a disciple maker is not necessarily on the disciples' choices. It's presenting the strengthening and doing what you can to help them find the Holy Spirit. Peter only became the Peter that we know as the early church father after Jesus left. So that kind of, you know, like everybody take a deep breath and breathe out. This whole performance in discipleship, okay? We have the model in Jesus Christ. As long as you are making disciples, it's on them to make the choice. As long as you are faithful to pour your life into them and to show them how to follow Jesus, it's not on us to to choose the choices for them. You're with me? And this is the difference between disciples and clones. Let me tell you, every every temptation in me is just a human, right? It's to determine the success of a thing organizationally. I can take, sure, I can take responsibility for the things that I do as a leader. But the choices that followers make is really on them. And so what we're seeing here is Paul is pouring his life out passionately uh, in Timothy. Timothy, we can read through the book of First and Second Timothy, but Timothy is trepidatious. He is pastoring a church in a thriving metropolis called Ephesus, and he's a young guy. Scholars would say he was in like his early 20s, pastoring this church that is full of all kinds of commerce and all, all kinds of uh, trade and then all kinds of sin that goes with that because there's a lot of idolatry and worship of other gods. And so Timothy's obviously intimidated by the nature of his work. But Paul still exhorts him, guys, this is what matters. Timothy, this is what matters. Find yourself some men. Find yourself some people. For my sisters in here, find yourself some woman that you can be mentored by, but also, like, trust God for that, but also find yourself some faithful woman to walk with and to pour your life into. Because you're seeing here four generations, but you're seeing here three levels of relationship that we should all be asking God for. What are those three levels of relationship? You should write this down. First level of relationships is trusting God for mentors. Like, yes, somebody who disciples you primarily, but also other mentors, anchors in your life that are growing. Make sure those mentors are being mentored. Otherwise, they'll be mentored, right? Don't, you know, like it's the danger about being mentored by somebody who isn't being mentored themselves is that they will draw that attention to themselves rather than understanding that that mentor is also being uh, walking faithfully with others. 
So there's the mentor level, there's the peer level, and then there's the mentee level, those who you pour your life into. Each one of us who are followers of Jesus should be craving and asking the Holy Spirit, God, I want to have mentors that speak into my life. I want to have a group of peers that I am growing with. You will become the summation of the five closest relationships that you have in your life. If your five closest relationships, I'm talking about your buddies, your friends, your boys, your girls that you hang out with, the, the, the peers that you have, you will become the summation. The direction of your life will be in the general direction of the average of those people that you hang out with. Who are your closest friends? Some of us need to pray, God, show us how to be friends. Show us how to friend well. And then asking God out of the abundance of those two relationships to see God use us to pour our lives into others. And this is where Paul moves into talking about three occupations here. And we're going to go into these three occupations, and then you will see why I am wearing this jacket. The first occupation is the soldier. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Jesus Christ, or Jesus how many of you have this verse on your refrigerator? Right? When you're about to get the milk in the morning for your cereal, you're reminded of the promise. Share in the suffering uh, as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. I think this is really vital for us to see. The correlation between a disciple of Christ and a soldier is one who understands that there is going to be times of suffering, but you'll also see that there's a sharing in that suffering. A soldier understands that they are a part of an army. They are called to walk in relationship with other people. So in that suffering, it is shared. We walk together. Paul would also write to, in 1 Corinthians, right? When one part of the body hurts or is in pain, the rest of the body comes to bring alleviation to that pain. This is why we walk together as the body of Christ, as the church. This is the way that God has designed us to walk. It's always together with others. And no soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits. We don't get entangled in worldliness because your aim is to please the one who enlisted you. How many of you believe with all your heart that Christ, through his grace, through his cross, has enlisted you to be a disciple of Jesus. How many of you believe that with all your heart today? Then you live to please him in this manner. You live to please the one who enlisted you through the blood that was shed by the ultimate soldier in Jesus Christ. So this is the first avenue of which Christ models for us discipleship. I love how the message version puts it. I'll read it for you. A soldier on duty doesn't get caught up in making deals at the marketplace. He concentrates on carrying out orders. Love that. He doesn't get entangled in worldly affairs and civilian pursuits, but he takes orders from the general. Look, if we aren't in the word of God, if we aren't around other people who are mentoring us, helping point us towards what the scriptures might say about how to follow him, how do we know what the order is? How do we know what the general has ordered us to do? To share in suffering also means to go to battle for others as well. You know, those who you walk with. I want to encourage you, if you're a follower of Jesus in here, to make a list of those who you would call your peers and to pray for them often. 
to make a list of those who speak into your life, your, your leaders, those who are, are mentoring you, and pray for them. Go to battle for them. You know, our staff goes to battle for you every Tuesday to pray for each one of you. We, we want to continue to battle for one another. It is a battle. It does not say anywhere in the Bible that Jesus died for you so that you can experience Disneyland every day. It's going to be hard. You know, Jesus wouldn't have said things like build your house upon the rock if storms weren't inevitable. Let's carry on here. Verse 5, an athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. So the first, the, the first is a soldier, right? The second is an athlete. Now, obviously, athletes back then were, were different. They would compete in, uh, compete in different ways, the ancient Olympic Games or the Ithmus Games during that time. But when we look at the athlete and how they prepare, right, for, for uh, their races or their wrestling matches or whatever they would participate in, there is a deep-seated preparation. And we see this also in Paul's writing. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, or those of you who are familiar with it, verses 24 to 27, I'll, I'll, I have it on the screen for you. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, 24 to 27 says, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run in a way that you may obtain it. That, that, should, that should get at your spirit right away, right? Run in a way. Live your life in a way that you may obtain the prize. In other words, don't waste your life. Paul's exhortation here. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, which would be equivalent to like a gold medal, right? Back in the days, in, in that time, they wouldn't receive gold medals. They'd re receive a wreath. You know, have, you know what a wreath is, right? Like a circle of, of plants that would stick on the door, like uh, deck the halls with bells of holly. During like Christmas time, you'd put it on the, uh, on the door, um, they put that around your neck when you would win. Uh, a lot of times too, like I know in um, certain like uh, car races like Formula One or NASCAR, they might put this wreath around the neck of the winner. Uh, this is what they would do. But what Paul's point is, they, they whip themselves into shape in order to receive this wreath that's going to perish. But we run for a crown that is imperishable, doesn't die. Verse 27, but I discipline my body. I'm already getting convicted here. I discipline my body and keep it under control lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Like we shouldn't run our lives in a way where we will become disqualified. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. There's a point to this. There's a point to this. Don't run your life aimlessly. An athlete knows where the finish line is and runs towards it with vigor and has trained so that they can finish this race. In the same way, a disciple of Christ understands that the same root word of disciple is also the root word for discipline, is that we bring our lives into alignment because we have a race to finish. Does that mean we work in effort to, you know, to, to attain the grace of God? Absolutely not. But because of the grace of God and out of our lives of worship, we discipline ourselves to live a life that glorifies God in the way we run this race called life. So this is the athlete. 
So we've got the soldiers, we've got the athletes, and then we have the farmers. It is the hardworking. Everybody say hardworking. Turn to somebody, encourage them. You're a hard worker. If they're not really just hard in their lives. <laughs> it is a hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. There is a reward for those who work hard in their discipleship. God wants to bless you. God wants to bring about his provision for those who walk out in, the, in a manner that honors him. He has a reward for those who are faithful to sow and to work the harvest. See, hardworking shares in the first fruits. I, I love that, that God wants to bring, God wants to bring about this blessing into your life if you will work hard to the glory of God, if you'll trust him. Part of, a huge part of discipleship is just learning to trust God wholeheartedly. Discipleship means ongoing faith that requires working, right? James says that faith without works is dead. Does that mean that, you know, Ephesians 2 is incorrect when it says that for by grace, through faith, we've been saved? No, it doesn't. It means that when faith comes to us by his grace, we receive his salvation, but in our worship of him, we come back into conformity as to how he has designed us and he has designed us to work for his glory. Now, here we go. Verse seven, I'm gonna land the plane here. Think over what I say. For the Lord will give you understanding in everything. What I've said is a lot. We just read seven verses. That's just seven verses. But you can already see the intergenerational nature of discipleship. You can see the relational side of discipleship. You can see the foundational side of discipleship and how necessary these things are in our walks with him. If Paul provides for us a model that we can, we can utilize, we should also see this as an opportunity for our own strengthening in the way that God has called us to live our lives. So let me break this down. When you consider being a disciple of Christ, it means, number one, you have close intergenerational relationships with those who can help you grow, your mentors, your mentees, and your friends, your peer group. Number two, you have resilient foundations for your faith that can override the trials and storms of life. And number three, you are growing in your faith in Jesus as you follow him daily. These are the marks of a disciple. And I know, you know, like when we're looking at these things, we might see, oh, I don't have all of those things in place, Pastor Nelly. I'm believing that there is going to be a supernatural provision for you to be able to see these things the way that God sees these things and to see people in the way that God wants to bring these people into your life. Some of, some of you, it may be people that are already in your life, but it's a matter of establishing, I want to have these sorts of relationships in my life. I, I'm believing for resilient foundations of faith so that no matter what comes my way, no matter what trials I may face, I'll be able to withstand the storms of life. But I'm believing God for that for all of you. For every single one of you, that we will be able to walk in these types of, of relationships together. This is the sort of church that we want to be, we want to become. And discipleship is not for the faint-hearted. See, this is what marks the difference between a pew-sitting Christian who's just happy to attend a meeting on a Sunday but not really get 
involved in terms of deepening their relationships and deepening their understanding of how God wants to move them forward in their destiny and purpose as a disciple of Christ. This is the difference between a pew sitter and a disciple who has sold out, a disciple-making disciple who understands the intergenerational nature of the kingdom of God. I'll end with this verse here. You can find this in in the first three Gospels in different ways, but I've chosen to read it from Luke. Luke chapter 9, verse 23. It says, and this is Jesus talking to his disciples today. It says, as he speaks to all of them, if anyone would come after me, let him or her deny him or herself, take up the cross and follow me. Discipleship requires a denial of self, meaning that I'm no longer living for myself. I'm living to understand that I was born to help others to the glory of God. I was born to worship God, and I will worship him in the way that I love and disciple others and be a disciple as well for his glory. When we begin to understand this, we begin to understand that this is the reason why we were born. And so we have that choice, and it's a wrestling in the flesh, right? I want to live for God. I want to live wholeheartedly for him. But then on the other side, it's always like, but Australia offers this life, or the, this, this country, or this, this nation, or the, this people, this economic system. Uh, it, it, it promises this life. We see this when we walk into our local supermarket and if you happen to go down the magazine aisle and you look on the front of each of those magazines we see all of these functional saviors you know the travel magazine says come here and you'll be whole the fitness magazine says have eight abs and you'll be whole the food magazine says forget the abs eat this and you'll be whole the weekly magazine, the gossip one, says just, just learn about what's happening to the royal family or the Kardashians. If you don't know what's going on, if you read this article, you'll be whole. A disciple of Christ understands these are all functional, false images of a savior. You read the business magazine and it says, you know, like buy this crypto, it's going to go to the moon and you'll be whole. Or invest in this, or here's 12 steps to grow your whatever and you'll be whole. Jesus says, become zero. Die to yourself and you'll be whole. Nobody likes that magazine cover, right? But this is the gospel. And what I love about Jesus and the difference between Jesus and any other leader of any other belief system is that he didn't just teach the teaching. He became the living word and died so that we can be made whole. And this is what he offers us. So how many of you would say, I hear the call and I am a disciple of Christ. I will follow him. I am following him. And I'm willing to deny myself, take up my cross. And I'm not talking about a piece of jewelry, jewelry that you put around your neck like a wrapper wears. I'm talking about taking up your cross, which is an instrument of death, and saying, God, I'm choosing to follow you. I'm choosing to lay my life, life down for your glory. It's a tall task, but it's worth it. So worth it. And I can honestly say on this side of making that decision 25 years ago, I know I looked 26, so I was one year old. No, I'm just kidding. Right? Like, it's the, it's the best 
decision I've ever made is to move beyond a religious understanding of, yeah, I know that's the truth, to actually saying, you know what, I don't want to live anything less. I don't want to live for anything less than all that God has for me. So I lay my life down to serve others, to love others, to live for others. And that's not necessarily a call to be a full-time vocational minister like me. That's a call to be a full-time disciple like you in whatever sphere he's called you to. So here's the question, and it's on the screen right now. Are you a disciple? Here's the call into discipleship. Are you a disciple of Christ? So I'm just going to take a minute to pray for you today. I want to give you the opportunity just to respond. Maybe, you know, before today, maybe you've been around for a while. Maybe you've heard um, this message somewhat before, but there's, there's a reminder that God is calling you to live as a disciple of Christ. And so whether this is the first time you're hearing this or this is the first time you're being awakened to the call to be a disciple of Christ, I want to invite you to make a decision to follow him. So I'll invite all of you just to bow your heads. And if you can, just take a moment just to reflect on where you are at. Are you a disciple of Christ or not? Let's pray. You know, for those in this room who are making that decision to say, you know, Pastor Nelly, I'll need you to pray for me. I'm wanting to be a disciple of Christ today. Maybe, uh, maybe you've been sitting comfortably just liking attending or whether this church or another church, but you're hearing the clarion call of the Lord to say, yeah, I want my life to count. I want to be a disciple. And I want to pray for you. I want to pray for you as you make that decision because I believe it's more than just a decision to be that but you're going to need relationships around you. You're going to need people around you to help you on your journey. And I'm here to reassure you as the pastor of this house that you are not alone. So if that's you today, can I just invite you to just lift your hands and surrender so I know who I'm going to be praying for? Awesome. Thank you, Lord. We're just going to come and, and pray with these who have their hands lifted. Let's just stand with these ones who have their hands lifted today. Father, thank you. Oh, God. Thank you, Lord God, for those who are here today who are making the, the choice to want to walk together as disciples, following wholeheartedly after you. And Lord, as the pastor of this house, Lord, we just want to commit to walking alongside your church, your people who are making that decision to wholeheartedly follow you today. We pray, Holy Spirit, just for an empowerment by the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross to be able to complete the work that you have called us to. Lord, to run the race and finish it in a way that glorifies you. Lord, we pour our lives out today. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to finish this race strong. Enable us, Lord God, by your Spirit. Thank you, Lord, that we are now your disciples. Lord, we pray, Lord, that you would release your forgiveness as we give our lives over to you and trust in you. Just take a few moments right now, just to, in your own words, just to say, God, I'm, I'm choosing to trust you today. I'm choosing to trust you wholeheartedly.
We hope you've enjoyed today's message brought to you by Every Nation Brisbane. For more information about our church, visit us on the web at ianbrisbane.org. Thank you for listening. God bless.